0: Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose
1: McGowan. Right here.
2: Aisha Tyler. Tron Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth Mike? Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi,
1: we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast.
2: <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Talk House Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we've got the frontman for a band that recently made a welcome return after a long absence, and the producer who helped him find the sounds and songs to do it, John Gorley and Jeff Basker. Now, Gorley is the singer for Portugal the Man, which started making music in their home state of Alaska back in the early 2000s before finding success and relocating to Oregon. The band has an impressive catalog that runs the pop gamut, and weirdly, they hit it huge pretty deep into their career with the 2017 song Feel It Still, which is still on pop radio six years later. Just this year, PTM finally released a new album called Chris Black Changed My Life, which both mourns and celebrates the band's close friend, for whom it's also named. The album was also partly inspired by the daughter of Gourley and his bandmate Zoe Manville. Francis Gourley has a rare genetic disorder that's touched on in this chat. But the album and Gourley's story is by no means grim. He's all about celebrating life, as you'll hear on this track, Summer of Love, which features some assistance from another recent TalkHouse guest, Unknown Mortal Orchestra. Check it out.
1: The easy. Doesn't have the substance.
0: I-
2: You'll also hear the fingerprints of producer Jeff Basker on that track. Now, Basker is best known for co-writing and co-producing smash hits like Kanye West's 808s and Heartbreak and My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy and Mark Ronson's Uptown Funk. He's one of several names that Portugal the Man brought in to help realize Chris Black changed my life. The two talk about how that process worked and in particular how Gourley is, unlike some songwriters, always happy to have more creative voices in the room. They also chat about which of them is a better singer, about playing at the Hollywood Bowl, about Gourley's life-changing jaw injury, and about his daughter, Frances, and the challenges they face. Enjoy.
0: I don't know how to do this. An artist not knowing how to use recording gear. I feel like that's like pretty, pretty common
1: though. Is it not? I mean, if you knew how to use recording gear, you wouldn't be the artist. (laughs) We wouldn't be talking to you, dude. So, well, where are you, John? You're at home in Portland? Yeah, I'm in Troutdale. In your home studio? Yeah, yeah, hanging out at the home studio on the sandy mm-hmm. river. Where are you at? I'm at home, too, in, in L.A., and I'm getting ready to see you guys at the bowl and see you guys from the stage and play a couple songs. So what am I playing? I'm playing Heavy Games' Heart of the Sunrise into Grim.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure you suggested two songs and that we brought five songs that we have to do.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. This is right. classic PTM bait and switch. I mean, this is a perfect opportunity, though, for us to talk about it. So we're going to do Heart of the Sunrise. Amazing. By yes, Just right? That's, that's yes. By
0: yes, right out the gate. So it goes Heart of the Sunrise, Heavy Games, Over the Baseline from heartless sunrise that eventually turns into like a major chord after however many bars we play Mm -hmm. Uh, i i recently learned what a bar is when we played (laughs) with the orchestra ah yeah we play with the colorado
1: symphony wow at red rocks oh amazing
0: yeah i was told that it's actually 20 bars before i come in singing on the song waves and uh yeah, I, it, it took me a minute to get my head around what a bar is. <laughs> and it has the conductor for some, like four times, five times through the progression. It's five times. So yeah, I get that now. Sick.
1: Can you hum a few bars of, uh, now that you know what a bar is, can you hum a few bars of uh, Heart (laughs) of the Sunrise? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Could you imagine humming Heart of the
1: Sunrise? (laughs) I'm trying
0: to. That would be incredible. Uh, Okay. Yeah. So So then it goes into? Directly into Grim
1: Generation. mm -hmm.
0: And then I think we're going to do the album in order.
1: I might be able to actually sing all that stuff. I went to um, the old Throat Doctor yesterday. And made some progress, maybe actually getting my my, my voice back in fighting shape, which was kind of exciting.
0: Whoa, dude, you're going to show it off?
1: i be like, ooh!
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is my favorite thing in the world to do is, but have you heard him sing? It, with Jeff Basker is like, oh my God, if you haven't heard him sing,
1: please, it's a real well, treat. Mutual biggest fan society. I always I always get kind of like my ego kind of rises and then I hear you sing and I'm like, oh yeah, that's why you're like an actual rock star and I'm not.
0: This is so th- this is so annoying, Jeff. Like the amount of times that you mm-hmm. sang things and you're like you're like, yeah, this is this should be in your range. I would try to sing it and it's so it's so much higher than I can sing. I, everybody has this like misconception about my voice. Like, I, I you are hitting these crazy notes on some of those demos. Too. Big boy, like, always killed me in mm. uh, strange trees. Like all these like early demos that we made. Right,
1: you mm-hmm. hit these
0: like you're so amazing. Like hitting those like
1: squeaks and like those squeals in your voice. I'm good at squeaking. No, I think thank you. I mean, it's a really big. It's I don't know how I managed to kind of trudge through like the album process, there were like ups and downs of like my voice kind of like crapping out, which is for the context of anyone who might be listening to this, um, just like developing asthma and then my falsetto kind of not being everything it once was, which was a lot of what songs I I would write would come from that place. Like try sleeping with broken heart or Beyonce rather die young. But, um, I don't know like it's like I was like well I guess I'll just find a new part of my voice which is a cool thing to do but it's also nice to just like be who you are and go out and get the help that you need to be who you are instead of just, just doing it all yourself. I feel like our whole process of making the album was um kind of a both of our growth process like and it was covid too or like everyone on earth grew because you had to go through this thing and you had time off to kind of focus on yourself but i don't know how do you feel about the album now that you've you've it's like out you guys have been performing it live like do you have any different kind of context around it or feelings about it yeah definitely
0: i think all of the artists that were making records during that time we became pods during that period. We weren't really seeing right. like a lot of people outside of that group. Right. It, I mean, the recording relationship is so intimate anyway. And then you take everything else out of the equation. Um, yeah, you can't help but grow. You can't help mm-hmm. but, you know, get deeper in, in that process in, in a lot of ways. And I, I think become more introspective. I mean, that was the, the biggest thing I noticed looking back on the process Mm. was that time away from everybody. I know we've talked about this a lot, but Mm -hmm. when did I realize we were writing about the band? You know, when did I realize that we were writing about Chris and like these friends and these people around you that like make you who you are, I guess taking it back to the beginning of where we started this record, like I had wanted to work with you for such a long time. And it was Mm. all about this. Like, I mean, you know me, I have no idea what I'm talking about. As soon as you start like rattling off letters with the little number or the little b thing next to it or a seven or whatever it mm-hmm. is i don't know mm-hmm. what that is mm-hmm. but i always loved your playing you mm-hmm. know it's like there's something really special about the way you play your instruments of a year like the just the way you move while you're playing watching you do it is really it's so exciting for me and I think it was probably really frustrating because all I wanted to do was watch Jeff play instruments. <laughs> and dude, when you show me your demos it, again, so annoying because I was like, Oh my God, why did I not realize that you, when I see those, those credits, you know, when you see people as a mm-hmm. songwriter, you go, mm-hmm. like, maybe added a lyric here and there, whatever it is. Right. It's, it's really, I mean, that was like, kind of fucked me up, if I'm being honest, like, going, wow, like, no, you wrote that. Like, that's pretty incredible to hear all those things together, like all those talents kind of come together. And just seeing your process, it was super helpful for me. Mm. Because I had always written about like people and like family and folks around me. And you would go to this place where, hey, John, what are we trying to write about right now? And I would tell you and you'd go to that place. And like riff on that and improv, and it it was just so so fun and so inspiring seeing that. I mean, I think it really gave me direction coming out of COVID, coming out of like I mean, remember when I was laying on the ground, like I could barely stand up in the studio mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, those those moments were pretty pretty heavy, and then the jaw injury happening. Yeah, a lot happened during this recording.
1: Right, right. It's funny hearing you talk about me and seeing me through your eyes. It really, in a weird way, it was like a a funny role reversal, like you're producing me in in a weird way. And I think all of the best artists actually produce the producer. I think the best artists that kind of know what they want and know what they want to get out of the producer, I always kind of looked at it like, There to kind of serve the artist's vision. But there's this thing that happens when you're making an album with a producer and an artist that, I don't know, kind of, I guess in the new way that we make records where it's not like literally a band touring town to town in England, pub to pub and playing songs every night. And uh, which you guys basically did too as a band, but you're not, getting in and just recording songs that you, I mean, when we got together, you guys had a couple fairly rough ideas, some more developed than others. And it's funny, interesting to see how it kind of came together. But now when you make records and like also the kind of artist you are, like you also do visual art and you're conceptual and you kind of see a whole body of work, like the way you did all the artwork for the album and, and uh right, like you did all the artwork for the the album.
0: Yeah, that was being with McClay, like McClay right. uh, who was there for the whole process. McClay Harriet is mm-hmm. I mean, he's such an amazing photographer and just so inspiring to be around as well. I've known him since twenty thirteen. And mm-hmm. I, I guess as soon as we started wrapping the album, McClay just started pushing this like, yo, get a printer, let's mm-hmm. make a collage, let's I want to see you draw again. And it just helps having that like energy around you. That's like, I want to see that thing that you love to do. Cause at at the end of the day, like we're all just
1: fans of music. It's funny. You say the collage thing and drawing the way you kind of made the album like that. And it kind of baffled me a little bit at first. Cause I was like, come on, let's Lennon and McCartney, let's Rogers and Hart, this thing and just sit down and write a song and, develop it and record it and you'd have this person working on it and that person this person come to the studio and you know um you had weird we got weird al involved i mean doing the who's gonna stop me which was a by the way footnote a song about me eating a of chips <laughs> tyler johnson came through and who else all kind of um reuben from a an, an orchestra and and of course isa and you guys kind of came through with those great songs in the ninth inning, like um, Grim Generation, Ghost Town and Plastic Island. Nick Reinhardt
0: came in, too. He played on Summer of Love, uh, some guitar stuff over at uh, Ryan Nash- Nashie's place. I love hearing what other people do Yeah, so much. Like it, It's like my greatest joy in the world is seeing somebody deliver something that is just so sick. Mm -hmm. You know, like I put my ideas on this giant snowball, and anything I have to do ends up on the snowball and it rolls around. Mm -hmm. And that idea might take two weeks to come back around on that ball, the bigger it gets. And the more people that come in, like that that ball just gets bigger and bigger. Yep. It's it's just such a part of my process. So it's so fitting that the collage artwork that, that got incorporated into this album mm-hmm. is such a part of that process. We just dumped yep. it out on the floor of that tour and just every single day we'd go through and we'd be like, I think this piece fits in this song, you know. And we we were very thoughtful and very considerate with it, but It was just feeling around for that emotion. I mean, that's the the most important thing to me is like
1: finding emotion in it. You're kind of bringing that part up and and that, yeah, there is kind of a taboo or even like a, a public perception of the way records get made and songs get written. And I love that there's like a great community of musicians and like what you're tapping into and talking about, like bringing people in. There's a lot of that, like when I worked with Kanye and that was like a big part of his genius to bring people together and then kind of funnel it to make that roll that snowball towards your target, you know, like when you had doubt and you played that demo for me. And I was like, dude, life was a dead end full of doubt. No one wants to hear that line, John. <laughs> and I was like, that is not the you know, That is not the uh, like, this is not, and it's the best song on the album, you know. And then I finally realized like later this you did exactly kind of what i was asking you to do it was like write about yourself write about your own experience and re- like r- reveal your deepest vulnerabilities you couldn't have done it better than coming out of the box with that line and then the way it connects on the album with when by the end of the process i think both of our processes came together really well and then you know homer's drums just like knocking so hard and his groove just like kind of anchoring it so so heavy to the road. You know, like that was really amazing to see both of our processes kind of like really intersecting and and coming together to make like an album and a and a collection of songs that I'm I'm really excited about. This one really felt really complete and whole and the whole thing's a journey.
0: Yeah, that do that time in El Paso. So- that was like a really magical time like i had j- my jaw had just finally started like really healing and just heading out there and just kind of going through everything because we lined up i mean remember, remember lining up all of these songs and there were just so many that we were looking at yeah and as we started pulling them out that was the thing you were saying the whole time you're like what are you trying to say what are you and i would be sitting there going i I kind of just like let it happen and hope that it makes sense. I always like to think about songwriters in this way. Like I like to, I love thinking of John Lennon sitting down at the piano and going, imagine all the people. Well, it's easy if you try.
1: right? (laughs) And then you
0: oh, imagine this other thing. Like, oh wow. Like imagine this. And then you end up with imagine. And I, I think that, that process is really fun for me, and dude, I watched you do it so much. I watched Black Thought do it. Well, he was making
1: mm-hmm.
0: his record. That I mean, we mm-hmm. we played some songs on that record with him, and that's the exciting process to me. Like it's like way less fun for me to sit down in the room and be like, "Well, how does that pertain to that? Like, how does this connect?" When it just presents itself, that's a really magical moment, and I—that's I, what I felt in el paso was regardless of what this album is like it it said something of that time and that's really what they're supposed to do like i don't know where it fits in things Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i just think you helped me grow as a like person and it made me see things in a different way right after my jaw had just started healing you know that's like Mm -hmm. the very beginning of that like I wasn't healed yet, mm. and singing "Plastic Island" through my teeth, singing the beginning of anxiety, and and it being really heavy. Mm-hmm. You know, that that moment, like bringing that in with you and you hearing it and expanding on these like melodies and and taking it to this place, I would have never thought to take it. it was just that's that was really exciting. You know, one thing that made me feel really good was, it, I mean, taking it back to doubt, was that was the one song home, we played it for Homer and Homer was like, that's as good as that can be. And I think that's just like, it's such a cool stance to take as somebody who's there to play the drums on the record, because like, that's kind of what it is.
1: The big strength of his and the aesthetic that they, you know, this kind of James Brown soul aesthetic, like not adding things for the sake of adding them, but Having things fit together and have a, a meaning for existing, which is like this kind of the definition of taste, right? Homer's just like an incredible, incredibly tasteful musician that um, has played such an important role on so many like really, really important, beautiful recordings. I'm
0: really happy you brought him. It was just like this—the things we were referencing as far as like just from the back of our minds, like nostalgic referencing like it's it's in there somewhere and like this vibe just needs this feeling and him capturing that is he does it on so many records it he's another person that really kind of fucks me up
2: Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the TalkHouse podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's Teen Dance Ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.
1: What else should we talk about? I hadn't actually seen this website yet that you guys have up of the Chris Black Changed My Life, and I'd love to hear you talk about um, Francis Changed My Life and that whole campaign, too, because that's also such a big part of this like campaign and roll out and goes like together with, I don't know, getting to know you and Zoe and Francis and like your family and even the band being a family and, you know, becoming friends with you. Um, Like how did this whole Francis change my life campaign come about?
0: Yeah. So Chris Black changed my life is, is meant to represent that family unit. You know, Chris was around at the beginning of this record when we first started working together. I mean, mm. I gotta tell you how how psyched he
1: was that we were working together. Mm-hmm. He couldn't even believe it. That's crazy that I didn't get to meet him. I didn't. I didn't really, fully realize that that he was alive during that beginning of the album.
0: Yeah, the very beginning he he was around and he's just like, man, like he would just like rattle off your credits and I'd be like, yo, dude, I'm trying to work with this guy. All right. I don't need to hear about his credit list (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) every time we talk. I miss that so much. You know, that's something that I miss is like his music knowledge. Like he's just such a fan of music. You know, I, I a thing that I realized as we got further into this record and even further past the album being it completed. I mean, we named the album after it was done. And it was just looking back on things and going, Wow, that dude made such an impact on me. And you know what? He made such an impact on this band. And he really, he kind of stepped in at a point when the band really needed it
1: mm-hmm.
0: And he came in and he was that like blue, make everybody laugh, um, come up on stage. I have anxiety on stage. So Chris would come out and he'd be like, everybody look at me (laughs) and he Mm -hmm. would think it's the funniest thing Mm -hmm. he would take all that weight off of you
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and when he when he passed our whole friend group it really like shook everybody up without even realizing like we we didn't really hang out so i guess in 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 naming the album i was really thinking about how zach made an impact on my life how you made an impact Mm -hmm. on my life and Mm -hmm. zoe and and I I guess bigger picture is it's been really cool seeing with the album out now, seeing people make these like little videos and they post on, on socials and they post up and they go, you know, this person changed my life. Uh, They introduced me to this other person in my life and I got this job or whatever it is. People talking about that. I, I think it's so important because as I was saying, like, Chris rattling off that credits list, I'd be like, come on, Chris. We're like, we're we're working with them Like, that's I I can't believe it too. I miss those things. And I wish I'd said that. Like, you know, actually the impact that's making on me right now, like your mm. how stoked you are about music is making me want to make great music. Mm-hmm. And I I think it really affected that group. So when Zoe and I got this pretty heavy diagnosis in our lives we we didn't know what it was like two years ago two and a half years ago Frances started having seizures mm-hmm. and we were going oh my god she's having that, you know it's like one or two a day and i know you're you're around for this so like you kind of mm-hmm. know i'm telling you like she's having seizures it went from like one or two a day to a hundred yeah she'd have a hundred seizures we took her in for genetic testing we had always thought it was something like uh spectrum something like that. You know, it was like a spectrum issue. We took her in for genet- genetic testing and we hear she has this thing called DHDDS. And it's this subgroup of DHDDS, which is just a genetic mutation. Uh she's one of six kids and we're reading these papers and it is brutal. Zoe and I are separate as we're reading this. And mm-hmm. it's a really heavy time. Like I mean just you can imagine like things are like the weight on both of us, the weight on the relationship. We, nobody knows what's going on. Mm -hmm. I'm being very candid about this and it, because it was, it was really heavy. And I I know that happens to a lot of couples. Like when, when there's really heavy stuff like this happening, it tears things apart. Mm -hmm. And we had just gotten this diagnosis and I'm sitting there reading that paper. And Zoe has come down to sing her parts for the record. And we started working on Times of Fantasy. And I remember sitting there with you and you had accidentally hit uh you know the halftime playback of mm-hmm. generation.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: those ooze, like it was so haunting, those ooze. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you you picked up we're like, oh, let's grab that. You got on the the synthesizer and just started playing this the chords and pulled up some of those lyrics of uh, I had sent you a big like lyric list mm-hmm. at one point, and you just started singing like un- another part of this heavy games lyric I had written mm-hmm. and kind of mashing it up. And it was so intensely emotional
2: for mm-hmm. me and
0: Zoe that night. That song is really really difficult for us to play live i mean it's so like i was choking back tears at red rocks playing that it was Uh really tough because it takes me back to that moment of i remember reading what's happening to francis and what the future looks like for francis and uh yeah that the future's coming fast when we talk about Uh chris black changed my life that's the the band dude You know, that's like Mm -hmm. a friend group that is a part of this friend group. And this is my family. This is my daughter is my kid. And yeah, it was, it was super intense learning more about this, this disease. And there's no cure. Obviously there's
1: no research that's been done. Yeah. So you guys have a GoFundMe page. Yeah. um, that's, That's a link on the, on the website. That's, um. You know people can kind of help towards this like funding research about this disease right
0: you know how wild is this world jeff like i thought i was successful until i learned how much it costs to, to do this genetic research i was like okay zoe, zoe and i is just saying let's go let's go do it let's sell everything we can let's let's do it and, and it's like oh you're still way off the mark i mean we're going to do everything we can we have this platform like let's go out let's I think raising awareness for genetic research and these genetic diseases. I mean, the ultimate goal is crowd research that lowers the cost, the medical cost for families in the future. I mean, that's mm. that's the goal. Is like the more you advance these re- this research, like when you look at one in six kids, you're really just scratching the surface because it, this is like genetic testing is fairly new. You know, we're all probably like it's somewhere in this little pool of Lego pieces that get stuck together. One goes missing somewhere. One is a little bit wonky, mm-hmm. you know, didn't quite stick. Right. And I, I truly believe as, as much as we've been researching this stuff that the fu- the future of, of like mankind like rests on this, can mm-hmm. we help, help these people? Mm-hmm. You know, Can we further, further these, um, like drug repurposing, and I think ge- genetics going forward, like it, it will be a a really special special gift for the future to kind of know what to expect and know how to manage that. Like I, I brought Francis out on stage the other day, and it was so fun seeing that kid with this super unique whatever it is she's got. She is like exploding with joy and excitement and happiness and yeah she walks out on stage we're playing I, th- I think we were playing times of fantasy or anxiety 30 mm-hmm. we're playing it and francis comes out on stage and do the cutest thing she's going hi hi and she's waving to people that are waving at her <laughs> going, "Hi, i see you i see you i mm-hmm. see you and she's telling the people in the audience that she sees them and it's that's all i ever want to see at a show
1: like mm-hmm. i want to see
0: elton john come out on stage and go hey i see you you're like how cool is that
1: she's an amazing kid and you guys are an amazing family and your whole story of like i mean she's basically born on tour with you guys right we were immediately out on tour she like she
0: couldn't learn to walk but she's got 15 16 18 people that are just ready to pick her up you know, I'd have right. to say, please don't pick her up right
1: now. <laughs> you know, let, let her learn to walk. It's kind of like everything you do with your music. It all has a higher purpose and it isn't about money or fame or success or, you know, comparing yourself to other people. It's all an, an inward journey. And it's yet another example of, for me, of like, you know, the the the, the amazing people I get to meet doing my job. And and who become, like, some uh, friends that I'll have for the rest of my life. So, you know, it was really an an honor and a privilege to make this album with you and and to get to know you and to be able to make music with you for a long time to come. So thank you for that.
0: I can't believe I got to work with Jeff Basker. (laughs) and I got to meet somebody who is so great. And, like, just getting to know you as well has been really... I mean, yeah, it's been a a treat. That's my favorite part about making records with people is like you get to make these friends too that love the same Mm -hmm. thing that you love, Mm -hmm. and the same goals. Like we're all walking to the studio to do the same thing. You know, Mm -hmm. it's you don't always luck out like that where you all walk into the studio and you're like, yeah, let's just do it. Let's keep going. Let's find it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But yeah, thank thank you for everything, and I'm. So I'm glad I've got to hang with you and your family. And dude, let's chant at Hollywood Bowl. Let's go play with Weird Al and Charlie Day.
1: I love it. You know, my one of my first concerts I went to was at the Hollywood Bowl. Not my mom brought me to come see the Playboy Jazz Festival. And it was definitely one of the first concerts that I was like, you know, I was just like, I knew I had to get backstage. I wanted to be on the other side of this world, you know, and I actually managed somehow to get backstage. Like I hustled like a backstage pass. I mean, I was like a 14 year old kid from New Mexico. I didn't know shit from frog crap and managed to get back there. And I was rubbing shoulders with like Whit Marsalis and Bela Fleck and uh, all these jazz people. And I was back there, you know, and it's kind of funny. it's going to be kind of surreal to um, I think I've ever actually played the Bulls. So this will be a really, really special experience for me.
0: At 14, you were confident enough to walk back there with those people?
1: Well, I I
0: mean, confident or just crazy enough to do it. <laughs> There's no way I could
1: ever do that. Dude, I can't do that as an adult who goes backstage. Yeah yeah, we well, we were wrapping it up, and then I went on another <laughs> tangent about the Hollywood Bowl that I thought would be uh, that I thought would be cool. and this is why the record took six years to make because I just keep going on tangents. <laughs> All right, bro. I love you, man. I'll see you soon. Can't wait to see you.
2: Thanks for listening to the Talkhouse podcast, and thanks to John Gorley and Jeff Basker for chatting. If you liked what you heard, please follow TalkHouse on your favorite podcasting platform and check out all the great written pieces at TalkHouse.com. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan, and the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.